You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 6, Episode 6. Carissa, how's it going? Uh, well, now that I figured out how to use the recording equipment, <laughs> it's going pretty great. Great, We had a couple of uh, glitches uh, this afternoon as we started to try to record, but... Uh... Well, until two seconds ago, you and I were the only two people in the world who knew that. <laughs> That's fair. Now all of our uh, all of our listeners know that as well. Uh, we're not always as put together as we sound, and uh, we don't always sound all that put together. <laughs> How are you doing? Not too bad. It's a beautiful day here in Jersey, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending a little bit of time outside in the very near future before I come back inside and uh, lead an online Bible study. Excellent. Excellent. It is not a particularly beautiful day here. It's nice and cool out and it was lovely for a run this morning, but it's been raining for much of the afternoon. Although I did uh, get to go to the the seminary today and see people in 3D, which was really exciting. We have a program there that I'm part of uh, mentoring some students and actually got to see them in person today, which was pretty darn cool. Wow. On on what level are you mentoring them? Um, so it's a program called the House of Studies, and we're sort of helping bridge that gap between seminary and figuring out how to do ministry in the real world. Mm, okay. So these, these are um, MDiv graduates then? Uh, MDiv students who are moving toward graduation and many of them toward ordination. Um, I'm specifically working with the Presbyterian students for uh, what should be fairly obvious reasons. <laughs> because they should probably be convicted of something and you'd be the perfect person to give them spiritual guidance in jail. Oh, no, no. Because um, many of them are going into chaplaincy um, and also uh, I'm a Presbyterian. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, yeah. really obvious then. Yeah, re- really, really obvious. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I don't think any of our students are headed on the path to incarceration, but you know, you never know. You Could never happen know to anyone. Um, just a you know a couple of of poor choices and circumstances, and uh, can be problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're way off topic. We are way off topic. Um, You know, there are some topics that you kind of want to avoid, and the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is definitely one of those topics. I've seen a number of our colleagues posting on Facebook as to which texts they might be using to preach on Sunday. Uh, The question that many people raised was, do you go off lectionary this week and pick a Pick something that is really easy to teach into, given the proximity of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I think the other question to be asking as well, and that's a that's a very good question, if you are going to be um, doing any kind of memorial service or, or prayer or anything this week, th- thinking about your scripture is very important. Um, the other question is, how much do you actually do. Um, 
I know some colleagues that have been facing this particular question. Uh, one in particular, their congregation wanted to put little tiny American flags like everywhere. And so they had to have a conversation about um, we don't worship the American flag, though. And if we want to honor these people, let's honor them for who they were, just not where they lived necessarily. So let's honor the EMTs and the firefighters and the police who rushed toward the chaos. Let's, you know, honor them as people who they were. Um, so that was an interesting conversation. And someone else had a conversation with some millennial members of their congregation who were so young at the time that 9-11 happened that it's not something that they care to talk about and memorialize at church. So how do we bridge those generational gaps when some of us do remember where we were that morning, right? What's the first question everyone's going to be asking you on Saturday morning when we hit September 11th this year? Where were you? What were you doing? For a lot of people, the answer is, I was watching Sesame Street, or I was a baby, I don't remember, or I wasn't born yet. And so I think that that poses some interesting dynamics as well. Yeah, agreed. Um it's it's really a question of generational trauma, you know, that that uh I'm almost approaching this like um premarital conversations, you know, that you for anybody under the age of twenty, this is always an event in the past. And uh it's it's something that you grow up hearing about, but like like us and Vietnam or even World War II, we might be able to conjure images because there are lots of pictures, lots of movies, lots of dramatizations, but we can never recreate the shock and the horror of the images as they were live. You know, the, the, this is the worst thing I've ever seen, but I can't stop watching it kind of quality to it and we hand down the grief and the trauma because we still haven't processed it and i think that's one of the reasons why we have to speak to it in our sermons on sunday morning yeah i think that at, at the least we need to address in our prayers um, because there were many lives lost and it was a scary time. And I think we need to acknowledge that, that people went through that, uh, for sure, for sure. Well, and to take it a step further, um, location is important too. You know, uh, this does not have the same resonance for you and me living in Western Pennsylvania 20 years ago as it does for anybody who lives in the New York metropolitan area, you know, around here in freehold, everybody knows someone who was working in that part of Manhattan that day. Uh, I have a retired New York city firefighter in my congregation. I assure you it's all too real to him. And if, if I don't, if I don't talk about it at all, I am 
doing a disservice uh, to the memory of the people who were lost that day and to the memory of the people who were there uh, putting their lives on the line to save other people. So uh, it definitely it definitely changes things being here where so many people are more intimately connected to the events of that day. I agree. I think that makes a huge difference. Like what is your connection to the events? Is this like um, terrorism voyeurism? <laughs> right? mm. uh, because that's what a lot of what happened after those days was right. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I got caught up in that as well. Like this, um, this super scared, super, super patriotic, um, fear of this terrorism that didn't, I mean, there was, the plane went down near Somerset in Pennsylvania, but the, the main acts of terrorism and violence were not aimed at us. Um, and you know, you kind of see this too, when someone gets really upset and wound up and like social media posty about an illness or a death of someone who they hardly knew. Right. Um, or people that go to every single funeral of everyone they ever met on any level. Right. Um, not that it's bad to go to the funeral of a friend or something, but like there's a point where it becomes unhealthy. And I think that our country was in that place of, of unhealth after nine 11. And it's, that's a normal reaction. That's not a judgment on anyone. Um, so yeah, I, I think your point about location is really important. You have people who were probably there or nearby and, and new people who were intimately affected. Yeah, I, I, that, that's definitely a big part of it. And I think too, um, we, we have to look at our own social and emotional location today as, something that developed very directly out of that moment and out of the response to that moment, um, out of that mixture of fear and anger from which we responded as a nation. And we have not, um, we have not fully come to grips with what that did to us. No, we have not. We, we live in a very different world today than we did 20 years ago. And part of that is technological advances. Part of that is the pandemic we're going through. Part of that is we've done a lot of soul searching regarding things like racism and immigration and, and all of, and, uh, women's rights and things like that in this country in the past 20 years. And also we are very different because of that day. We have this entire generation of people who've grown up never knowing pre 9-11. We have an entire generation of people who have grown up not knowing what it's like to not be able to have your loved ones see you off at the gate at the airport. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was just going to go there. I mean, 
we grew up being able to go all the way to the gate and with our shoes uh, on the whole way. With our shoes on, yeah. <laughs> we would have to go through a metal detector, but mm-hmm. that was pretty minor. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, everybody now just expects that uh, that cattle call at the TSA line, uh, unless you have the time and the money to to pay extra for pre boarding clearance. And um, and even then, you still have to go through the full security screening. You just don't have to wait as long. It's like the fast pass at Disney World. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the airport fast pass. But it's Correct. because you've been pre-security screened in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, uh, yeah, th- there's, there's just no memory of a time when we weren't living in that kind of existential fear. And it's not to say that there weren't spectacular terrorist attacks before the world trade center bombing in 93, um, that almost did what Mm -hmm. the, the attacks on nine 11 did. Uh, you've got the bombing of the Murrah building in Oklahoma city. Uh, certainly um, a tremendous and horrible attack, but somehow it was somewhere else until 9-11. And, you know, the technological piece, um, the, there was a lot more, um, by 9-11, uh, Fox News had been around for about five years. Uh, you've got all of the other cable news networks going on, and the internet has really exploded in such a way. Um, I, I don't know if there were probably a few people blogging then that that probably starts taking off shortly after 9 11, uh, maybe a little bit before. But yeah, you've got uh, just all of this uh, availability to consume the content. And so content was provided and we just, we developed uh, a nation of news junkies. I mean, certainly we were there before, but uh, there's just so much more news media out there post 9-11 than pre 9-11. That's a really interesting thought. This idea of the 24 seven news cycle. And we didn't have that before 9-11. Really not, not really like we have it now. And there weren't really times when you gathered around the TV or the computer monitor or Facebook on your phone or YouTube on your computer or whatever to watch the news. So, I mean, sometimes like Rodney King riots, people were certainly watching that fairly closely on the network sure. news. The, um, the first Gulf War. Yeah. Um, OJ Simpson. Which, which made case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There were some things that, you might pay attention to, but it wasn't like it is now. 9-11 is at least the first time I remember what, like not being able to turn off the, the news cycle because we, you know, we heard it on the radio at work 
uh, here's that the corny question that everyone's going to be asking y'all this weekend. Where were you when it happened? Do you remember? I was late for work that day. Hmm. I know I was late for work that day because I walked in as it was announced on the radio that one of the planes had hit and I was supposed to be at work at eight. Um, and so we listened to it on the radio and then we all moved upstairs to where there were TVs and like I was working at a retirement village and we went up to the little shop where it had a TV and some of us went to like the dining hall where it had a TV to watch and then nobody turned it off for days. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I had a, had a sleep study the night before and I, I had just started working a part-time job at a cigar shop. Um, really hadn't gotten, gotten to know the guys at that point, but I had that sleep study and I came back kind of exhausted, wanting to crawl into bed. And, um, and my grandmother who, lived in a little apartment off to the side of our house, uh, was incredibly upset. And, you know, like I didn't realize what was going on. And then instead of going back to bed, I had to put on the TV. Yeah. What a crazy. And I had thought about that before that kind of being that first 24 hour news cycle event for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember, I very much remember in college with the first Gulf War uh, that CNN was on a lot, but not everybody had a TV. But my mom also told me that my dad had it on 24-7. I think it might have been more generational, but eight years later, it was every it was everyone. It was inescapable. And yeah, yeah I think I think that's a, a big part of it. I think, too, you know, we had a brief moment of national unity. Mm -hmm. uh, we we certainly had a coming together, but it didn't last very long. And, you know, it's it's not like uh, it's not like before 9-11, everything was great. And after 9-11, everything was horrible politically. It's more like before 9-11, we were still ugly and nasty, but it wasn't everyone. And the lines weren't as hard and fast. But after that moment of a few months after 9-11, once the lines started to get drawn again, they, they got drawn harder. Um, it became more of a <clears throat> more of a thing if you you know you're either for me or against me and there was no middle ground after that yeah it's really interesting how that changed so much of like the social dynamic um around politics um, and that's the first time I remember as well. And this, all of this first time I remember stuff might be because I was like 22 when this happened. And that's when you start to actually become a person in life. Um, you know, that's also the first time I remember the church being so politically motivated or fractured or, 
um, in, invested. I'm trying to think about what the right word for that would be, because all of a sudden everybody was having these big patriotic let's pray together services. I went to one mm -hmm. of them. I remember it. And in you know, I'm sure some of that stuff existed. I know some of it existed. Um, I went through that curriculum that talked about the evils of rock music. So I'm sure there was some of that in our youth group. But I don't know. I feel like there was something that changed us as a country and that changed us as a church in the United States in that moment and not in a good way. Yeah, it's... Um... I, I would have been unchurched at that time. So I wasn't there to participate. But my understanding is there was a blip in the graph where, you know, if you if you go back to the late 80s, early 90s, you start to see the decline in mainline Protestant churches. And there's like a blip after 9-11 where that graph goes the other way where people are searching for meaning and they drift back into church. But what it sounds like to me, just as an outside observer, is all of a sudden the church began to reflect the broader culture rather than be a moderator of the culture, a moderating influence or, or uh, a check against our worst impulses. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and, and I, I think it's another interesting thing is that this huge traumatic event happened in the life of our country and in a place not too far away, even from, from even in Western Pennsylvania here, right? We're an eight hour drive away from, from New York. We're a very quick plane ride away. And the church should have been a place where people would have found healing and meaning during that time, why didn't they stay? <laughs> did they find that healing and meaning and move on? Or did they not find that healing and meaning? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm going to say they didn't find that healing simply because it takes longer than that short amount of time that people drifted back in. And uh, I don't know how well informed churches were at that point in trauma and in grief and sort of what needs to be done to react to something of that magnitude. Um, yeah. But I think culturally, we are so used to quick fixes that my guess is that a lot of people drifted back in for a few minutes, didn't find what they were looking for quickly, and drifted back out. And that would have been exactly my inkling as well. It's just nice to hear it confirmed by another person. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. And I would argue, to take it a step further, that the church today still doesn't know. There's so much information out there on trauma and healing, but the church is just not reading it. The church is just not getting it. And that, I believe, is evidenced by the church's lame responses to the pandemic that we're living through right now. Because we're in another one of these refiner's fire moments for culture and society that an entire generation is going to be shaped by, the, in much the way that we were shaped by 
9-11 in our early adulthood. So, yeah, I think church, you know, my challenge to you is figure this out (laughs) because you haven't in 20 years. We're doing the same stuff as before. Yeah, it's, um, it is one of the joys of being in church leadership and seeing people, uh, and this, this is also kind of, um, a nine 11 tie in. We, we see so much of people searching for the past, um, Mm -hmm. searching to remake the past or recreate the past rather than accepting the present and searching for the place of the church in the present, uh, searching for the flock in the present. You know, we're, we're dealing with congregations that are so used to churches where people just showed up and where they grew up with this attractional model for church growth that, uh, I mean, it hasn't worked in 20 years. You know, there might be outliers here and there, but as a, as a mode of evangelization, it has not been effective since, oh, I don't know, the baby boomers were in their 30s. Yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't figured much out. And I, I wonder if that attraction to the past, that nostalgia, is maybe that's part of the reason to reflect back because 20 years ago we collectively went through a huge and traumatic moment that we got through that we most of us survived and so now when we're going through this new huge traumatic season in in a weird way that offers us some hope that we can get through this one too yeah, I, I agree. Um, we, we need longer historical perspectives on so many things. And one of the things that I keep telling people is the early church succeeded because they engaged people one-on-one. They practiced hospitality and relationships. And the early church, even before there was any kind of official persecution, it had no right to be successful and to grow at the rate which it did. So they must have had something. Uh, Obviously, they had the spirit, but we have that too. The difference, I think, is that they got out of the way. You know, they got out of their own way and they looked for opportunities to bring people into the story, bring people into relationship, bring people into the fold. And we have gotten so used to not having to do this that it makes us very uncomfortable. And I think 9-11 might be one of those sort of anti-nostalgia events where people in the 90s who were yearning for some more perfect past that 
only existed in their minds anyhow, were confronted with a reality that was so harsh that said, you can't ever go back to that thing that you think you had before. Mm. And so part of the trauma is letting go of the dream or the fantasy for some other imagined past. Yeah. And it's funny you should mention the early church and moving forward. I I don't know if you set this up on purpose or not, but uh, we're getting ready to start a new, we're not going to, we're not going to number it as a new series, but kind of a little mini section within where we've been headed this season. Um, And we're, we're going to blow up the church. Um, Don't panic and report us to the FBI. We're not going to literally, blow up the church, but we're going to bring in some friends and colleagues who we know and trust to talk with us about what it might look like to pretend that the church as we know it today isn't there. And in a lot of ways, it's not (laughs) because a lot of them are closed and doing things differently. But if we were with no history, nostalgia, baggage the way we've always done it if we were to read the new testament and start a church today in this context what would it look like that is so radical it's crazy right crazy well it you know radix latin for root getting back Mm -hmm. to what we began with And yeah, it is crazy, but so was the idea of the church 2,000 years ago. Yes. It was utterly crazy, and yet it worked. It survived. It even thrived uh, first in the face of indifference and ridicule. Then it survived and thrived in the face of... Uh, internecine strife between early Christian congregations and their uh, their Jewish friends and family members. And then it continued to grow and thrive under official persecution by the Roman Empire until all of a sudden everything changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to imagine what it looks like when everything changes. This actually, I I was, you know, I was a little concerned, Alan, that we were going to go from the conversations we've been having this season to talking about (laughs) 9-11 right in the middle as this hinge for going into this next section with these interviews. But I I think that in that light, it actually turns out to be a great hinge. It really does. Yes, Carissa, I am that good in thinking it through. I'm really bad at planning ahead and I just start talking as we all know. So good job putting the hinge in the door. (laughs) I'm going to open the door, whether there's hinges on it or not, I'm just going to rip it off the wall. (laughs) No, I, it it is, um, I, I'll, I'll say it's more of a, of a Holy spirit thing, um, than, than anything else. I think that, you know, one of my, um, one of my core beliefs, whether it's in relationship or in ministry, is if there's an elephant in the room, let's name it and describe it because it only has power if we pretend it's not there. And, uh, you know, 
there is definitely this question of what we do to rebuild after any calamity, literally or metaphorically. And, uh, you know, 9-11 is one of those things that shook us to our foundations. Yeah. So uh, whether it was brilliant insight or the Holy Spirit on my part, I, I, will, uh, I will not offer an opinion on that. I will. <laughs> I'm going to give that credit to the Holy Spirit, lest I be smitten by lightning uh, in the seat that I sit in. I know better than to uh, not give credit where credit is due. Anyway, I uh, think we've kind of talked this one through for the day. And maybe you can close us in prayer. And ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, and and everything, everyone that's not neither, um, Stay tuned for next week as we begin to invite our friends in to talk through these exciting new ideas. God of grace and mercy, in these unsettling and unsettled times, we ask that you send us your Holy Spirit. Send us your mischievous and creative Holy Spirit. Spark the desire in us to be faithful and to start afresh with the love of Christ for the world and build something that reaches your people wherever they may be so that we may restore the sheepfold and bring the flock back into the greater protection of community. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.com patreon.com slash soft idolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.